Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cart Macross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cart Macross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartMacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 13th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Northeast Pile and Pressure Campaign is a group that was set up to oppose the way Airgrid proposes connecting the electricity grids of Ireland and Northern Ireland using a 400 kV overhead line with pylons in counties Monaghan, Cavan and Meath and pylons in Armagh and Tyrone in Northern Ireland. The group is holding a public meeting in Kells tomorrow. It's in advance of the elections which will be held on Friday of next week. Porrick O'Reilly, spokesperson with NEPPC, the Northeast Pile and Pressure Campaign Group, is on the line. And good morning to you, Porrick, and thanks for joining us. Uh, explain the timing of uh, this public meeting, because I suppose uh, we haven't heard much about uh, the airgrid proposal for some time. So why are you deciding to call people together now? Good morning, Michael. Um, well, I think the last meeting we had was actually about two and a half years ago, which was uh, a month or so after planning for the construction of the line was approved in the Republic of Ireland. And there was a lot of concern at that time uh, that uh, it would would move ahead very quickly. Uh, and as uh, people are aware, nothing has happened since then. And there's a lot of reasons for that uh, in relation to uh, issues ar- around uh, the planning conditions. And there were very strict conditions um, uh, attached to the approval. Uh, and during that time, a lot of things have happened also in terms of um, advances on undergrounding. And also, uh, we have found out that costs of overhead lines are much higher and the actual need for Northern Ireland is not there anymore. So the reason for having the meeting is firstly to update people on what the reality is in relation to the project. And more importantly, the fact that we have uh, two sets of elections coming up, one at local and one at European, uh, is very re- relevant that we call out what the, the different parties have been doing, and particularly the lack of action on the government side. The local authority elections uh, might seem to many not critical, but in fact the planning conditions have kicked the ball, if you like, into their court. Uh, and on board Panala have given the local authorities the, um, uh, the job of making sure that the conditions are adhered to and that particularly that all these access routes uh, uh, comply with proper planning. So they're actually now on the front line. And so these elections coming up are very important. And from a European perspective, um, there is a lot of um, annoyance and uh, concern on our side in relation to how ESP and Airgrid are in collusion on this project and switching powers over and back. And there is a very 
sensitive area around a separation of powers that have been come down from European level and we'll be calling on our MEPs to really look into this in great detail. Am I right in thinking that you have the support of all local politicians? No, you're not right, Michael. We have support of all opposition candidates and um, independent candidates. In terms of government, and there are four ministers in the North East, we do not have their support. Um, If you look at their actions and their statements and their lack of statements for the last number of years now, there is no support to getting this line underground. Uh, as we all highlighted, we're not against the project, but we want it undergrounded. In terms of support from them on the undergrounding, there is zero support. Uh, there are comments made and mealy-mouthed statements, but there's no support. Okay, you uh, say there's four ministers in the northeast. One of those is Heather Humphreys, who's outside of our area. In County Meath, uh, there's a senior minister and two ministers of state. Regina yeah. Doherty uh, is uh, the senior minister, and we have uh, junior ministers, Damien English and Helen McEntee. Uh, just uh, for the sake of our, our listeners, I'd like to explain, uh, particularly in the run-up to an election, uh, that uh, in order uh, to be fair and to be balanced in terms of how we hear your argument uh, against Fine Gael, uh, we asked each of the three ministers uh, to join us uh, this morning. Unfortunately, it wasn't possible for Regina Doherty to be with us. Unfortunately, it wasn't possible for Helen McEntee to be with us. And unfortunately, it isn't possible for Damien English to be with us uh, this morning. So just to explain that to our listeners, uh, and indeed, I'm sure many of uh, the candidates who are listening to us uh, this morning, because uh, you're asking people to hold Fine Gael responsible for this. Yes, Michael, and we've no, we've never, no personal issues with any candidate. It's purely down to uh, actions speaking louder than words. Uh, this government have now been um, this project has been there for 8 of the uh, 12 years that the government have uh, this government have been in power so they've had ample opportunity to do something about this we know for a fact it has never been brought before the cabinet table by any of the ministers for discussion uh, we know that um, they can direct AirGrid at any stage uh, to put these lines underground. That has never been requested. I think more importantly than anything, uh, in terms of holding AirGrid to account for all the mistakes and all the waste of taxpayers' money um, and all the genuine lack of competency in this project, none of this has ever been uh, brought to a head. We've written to these ministers many times in the last two years alone. We've got no response. We've got no action. The current Minister for Communications, uh, for the first time ever, is a Fine Gael Minister. He's from Mead. Uh, we have written various things, and we'll highlight them tomorrow night, in relation to AirGrid's activities. And frankly, some of the responses from him have been shocking in his lack of understanding of what is AirGrid's role versus ESB's, and in the, in the nonchalance that they have in relation to just supporting this project, irrespective of what AirGrid do. And so, from our standpoint, uh, we will be making these statements tomorrow night, and it's open to Fianna Gael or any other party to challenge the facts. Um, you know, they can have their opinion on whatever they like, but the facts will, will, will be stated and they will be supported by everything we say. Okay, and uh, I think uh, the ministers uh, are usually represented at your meetings, aren't they? It has varied uh, from time to time. They've always been welcome, they've always been ha- had a chance to make their, their point. 
Uh, for the last uh, few meetings, there have probably been less there than have been in the past, but 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 some have been there and have had the chance to to make a comment. And the same will e- exist tomorrow night. Uh, as you mentioned about the four ministers not coming on this morning, the thing that we find very uh, unfair and really undemocratic is for the last few years, uh, it has been stated by some of those ministers that they will not debate this in public uh, over the radio with any protest groups, which we've been... Uh, categorize, categorize as likewise airgrid will not come on the program and debate it uh, with with ourselves either so we have a situation where um, they want to push this ahead and not have a proper debate on it and that's just not on uh, in, in this day and age okay i should clarify uh, as well in case there is any confusion uh, we actually didn't ask heather humphreys uh, to come on to the program the reason we didn't do that is that we asked the other three ministers uh, if any of them would like to come on uh, we've been put in requests since Friday of last week and given that there's uh, three uh, very senior politicians in County Meath and given how big an issue this is uh, to their constituents we thought that by this morning uh, one of the three would have been uh, available but as uh, I say uh, unfortunately Regina Doherty, Helen McEntee and Damien English are not available to us today. And for the record Michael all have been invited about uh, two weeks ago at least two weeks or maybe a bit more by ourselves, as have all all other politicians. So um, they've been fully aware of of, of the meeting tomorrow night. Um, and um, as I said before, um, you know, some of those ministers have come on your program and talked about the project, but they will not come on directly in the, the, in, the in the last couple of years, at least, to debate it with ourselves. And we find that very. Um, uh, very annoying and and really undemocratic in relation to to this project. If they're so sure of the project uh, that it should go ahead, and if they keep saying how critical it is and it needs to go ahead as an overhead line, then surely they have the decency to debate that with the public and with the landowners who are going to be very very badly affected. Well, uh, we don't. Uh, again, I don't want to misrepresent anybody when they're not here, uh, but it has to be said that whenever we have uh, spoken uh, to Regina Doherty, Helen McEntee, or Damien English. Uh, they've all said that they're opposed to this project and that they support your group. Well, they say that, Michael, but, um, you know, if, if, if I think in your last interview with one of those ministers, when you pushed very hard on whether they supported Airgrid's approach, I think they conceded that they did. And at the end of the day, it's not, you know, down to a few words on the radio station. It's what's happening in Leinster House and it's what hap- what's happening in terms of uh, actions on the ground. And uh, they, we called, for instance, not so long ago, about two months ago, we called on them to call in Airgrid and hold them to account for, and I'll give you one example, the cost for this project have been pushed down our neck about the cost of underground being so high. Okay. Sony in Northern Ireland recently published costs that showed that the interconnector was vastly higher from an overhead line perspective than originally stated. They didn't include a new substation that's required in Northern Ireland. So they've been hitting us with costs and overhead lines for the last 12 years, and they didn't even include a substation in Northern Ireland that was there from the very start. We asked our four ministers to call in Airgrid and ask them why have they been misleading the costs for the last 12 years. Not a response. Nothing back. So... I think, you know, it's very clear to us Mm. that they're going to tow the government line and they're not going to defend the need to underground this project in in, in, in North East. 
and I find it's a shame that they have no pride in their county or no responsibility to uh, and they will allow 400 pylons up well, in three counties no. when the rest of Ireland has successfully stopped Gridlink and Grid West etc through political pressure Okay well I, I mean I can't speak uh, for the ministers it is unfortunate uh, that they're not here to speak for themselves Porik thanks uh, for the 10 minutes you've given us as I say it's unfortunate that uh, Regina Doherty Helen McEntee and Damien English didn't have 10 minutes available between them to discuss this uh, with us uh, this morning but you're asking people to meet uh, tomorrow evening in Kells uh, and uh, I'm sure that uh, we'll hear more from uh, the Headford Arms over the course of uh, the week uh, but we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us today that's Porik O'Reilly spokesperson for the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group now as you've been hearing Garda are investigating shots being fired at a house in Dundalk. This happened at about one o'clock this morning and Sinn Féin councillor Rurio Murku is on the line. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Thanks, Mike. Well, it was uh, the early hours, I suppose Sunday morning, just after one o'clock, um, a resident actually had made contact with me via text message. Um, it transpired that transpires later that a maroon car drove into the estate and what people think was two blasts from a shotgun fired at a house and then the car drove out of the estate and I think information has come to light later from another witness and I believe all this information has gone to the guardie and that it turned left on Hoy's Lane and one of the occupants may have actually got out and run across the pitch and putt. But again, like all these incidents, we just need to make sure that every bit of information finds its way to the Gardaí in Dundalk. Um, This is not the first time an incident like this has occurred in this estate. This is the second time within a month we've had shots at two different houses. And we have a serious difficulty in this town, not only in Trotta, with dangerous criminals who obviously are willing to use weapons as regards intimidation and whatever else. But the only thing is, this is a highly built-up residential area. You know, there's full of kids, and this is absolutely indiscriminate. And it's just pure luck that someone hasn't been seriously seriously injured or worse, and people are worried. Do you, you know, do you know if anybody was in the house at the time of the shooting? Um, I believe there were. The guardie came in later. I think the occupants of the house were out on the streets. And so on, on that basis, I, I'm assuming they were in the house. There, uh, it was one of the residents pointed out that the, the upstairs window in the house had been cracked or smashed. You know, so the assumptions are that this happened during the attack. And do you know why this house may have been targeted? Um, well, I don't know how much I can go into it, but sure. I, I, there, there is a family and even individuals within the family who are under threat at this point in time. Do you believe that this shooting was linked to the other shooting that you mentioned? Yes, I do believe, well here I have no obviously evidence at this point, Mm. but yeah, the belief is out there that this would be from the same source. Uh, The other one, the the other incident is out out there in the news and on the media has been mistaken identity, so I think it's fair enough to say that that was the case previously. 
Do you believe uh, that uh, the two shootings in Rockfield Manor are connected uh, to the feud in Drogheda? I have no information that they are. I, I have no information that they are. Um, my belief is no, that it's, it's, it's separate. But it's a similar sort of situation in the sense of obviously here violence in our streets and in our estates and someone's going to be very seriously injured like no more than being the story that's going out in relation to Drada that the Gardaí need whatever resources they require I would like to think having spoken to Gardaí and my intention today would be to speak with senior Gardaí would be that whatever operation is in place to ensure that the resources that are required are brought to bear as quickly as possible because we don't need this to escalate. We don't need this to be brought to a head where somebody's lying in a pool of blood, you know, in the middle of one of these estates. So we need to ensure that we cut this off at this point and see people who are willing to do this and able to do this at this point in time, they need to be stopped because it's just not acceptable. Like, not only is this an attack on individuals, not only is this an attack on the wider community, this is an attack on the state. Are there enough? The state, has, the state has a requirement to obviously protect its own people mm. and then to put these people's lights out. I don't think there's any other term I, I can use in relation to it. Now, we're dealing with criminal gangs, most likely dealing with drug dealing criminal gangs, and we've already had the commentary from the chief superintendent in relation to the possibility of a lost generation the amount of money that has been made on the basis of the amount of people who, who are engaged in recreational cocaine use. And I suppose this is the outworkings of that. And that needs to be taken into account. Now, there are wider issues in relation to the drug problem. And obviously, we need early interventions. We need resourcing, family resource centres, after school, whatever else is required. Are there enough Gardaí to police Dundalk? Uh, because uh, I think... Uh when Drogheda got the additional 25 Gardaí, uh, that was still below the numbers in Dundalk, and Dundalk also got an additional 5 Gardaí. Yeah, I've never had a meeting in the last while, whether it's with Superintendent Curley or the Chief Superintendent, or even wider meetings I've been at, where at any point they said they had sufficient resources, or they had um, sufficient manpower, or sorry, they had sufficient amount of Gardaí mm. to actually do the job that they need to do. So at this stage, I think it's fair enough that they need to put in place what they require as regards an operation. And then the state, the government needs to ensure that they get all that they need. Otherwise, somebody's somebody's going to pay with their life. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Sinn Féin Councillor Rory O'Murku. Michael Reed on LMFM. Revenue seized uh, tobacco and cigarettes last year worth 42.3 million euro uh, in the region of 67 uh, illicit cigarettes. Uh, But uh, according to the Retailers Against Smuggling Group, uh, whilst they seized 67 million cigarettes, uh, there were 453 uh, illegal cigarettes uh, that were sold to people in this country. We're joined by Benny Gilsonen, who's a spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling. Good morning to you, Benny, and thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Where do you come up with that figure of 453 million cigarettes? This this is a figure based on surveys done by retailers 
uh, in their own areas where people who are purchasing cigarettes from them will tell them. I oh, know, sure, I, I, I got uh, 200 last week of so-and-so, mm. and let's say who it is they actually got them off. And that's, that's where we are coming up with those figures. Okay. And like we note even from the revenue there in their report uh, that the, uh, the increase in the sale of uh, illicit uh, roll your own has gone up from 15% to 21%. You know, that's a significant increase in one particular product alone. Mm. Uh, and that's coming from revenue sources and the, the, the actual uh, legitimate one's been brought in illegally from outside Europe, or the non-duty paid one, should I say, mm. is gone from 3 4% to 7%. Uh, and is it that more cigarettes are being smuggled into the country and more tobacco, as you say, there's that huge increase in roll-your-own tobacco, or is it that revenue are being more successful in what they're seizing? Well, uh, both, uh, Michael. Revenue are uh, being successful in season uh, certain quantities of it. But unfortunately, there are such quantities coming in that uh, revenue don't have the manpower. Customs don't have the manpower that is required to deal with this problem. You know, customs have all the other work to do alongside this problem. And, you know, they don't have the resources to deal with it. Mm. It's a big market, isn't it? It's worth an awful lot of money. It's a huge market. It's a huge market. And for the first time, Michael, uh, that I have noticed uh, was in last year's budget that the minister did not spell out on the day of the budget when he increased the price of cigarettes and, Mm. and tobacco in the budget. He did not spell out the actual net gain to the exchequer from the extra revenue. You know, that was an indication that they actually are not making any extra money. Over the last three to four years, they have actually had a net loss on the increases. So it tells us that increasing the price the way they are is not beneficial to the exchequer, and it is not curtailing or limiting the amount of people that are smoking. Okay, um, yeah, have me struggling to remember now. Uh, but if I remember correctly, uh, the increase in cigarettes was uh, considered to be a revenue-raising measure. But uh, for what specifically, I can't remember. But uh, I believe that to have been the case. Uh, and it was always it was always said it was revenue-raising, mm. as it would be in the region. The previous year, it was in the region of one hundred and eighty million. The year before that, it was $227 million. But last year, in last year's budget, he didn't mention the actual increase that would be generated from it. He did say 50 cents across the mm. board, but he never spelled out the, the overall figure for the year. When you sell a packet of cigarettes in a, a shop, how much of, uh, what is it, 10, 11, 12 euro for a packet of cigarettes now, how much of that goes uh, to the government? It, 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 80 Almost 80%, 79.9% or 79.8% of the retail price of the packet of cigarettes goes to the exchequer. Right, uh, because uh, you're looking at in the region of 300 million euro, uh, which would come up with this 453 million cigarettes uh, in around that. So the government is losing out somewhere uh, in the region of 240 million euro. That's correct. That's correct. 
That is correct. And that, that would pay for all the customs officers you'd want, would it not? It would pay It would pay for customs officers. It would pay an awful lot towards the cost of a lot of the problems that the, the revenue are being confronted, or the government are being confronted with today. You know, there, it, it, is, it is futile, uh, you know, for the government to say, no, uh, we're not in, uh, increasing extra revenue. We have enough resources. They don't have. If it's a thing that that volume, and that's only the, that the volume that we are talking about, Michael, is the volume of cigarettes that customs are seizing. Mm. You know, this is this is where these figures are based on. That you know that tells us how much cigarettes are coming into the country. You know, we we do know for the last two years there has been two different factories found uh, manufacturing mm. here in this country. Mm. Well, I won't say in this, you know, just outside. Uh, uh, the 26 counties. Mm. You know, I believe that there are more of those operating. Yeah, well, the factory just up the road from us uh, was a, a particularly professional setup, wasn't it? It was a, a very, very professional setup. Very professional, and like if they had they they had gone down the road of not only getting involved in the cigarettes, but they were getting also getting involved in the illicit trade in drink. You know, so it tells you how lucrative this market is for the people who are involved in this. They are making millions. Well, that's big business, and uh, they are quite often the kind of gangs that we were talking about earlier on uh, who deal in the drug trade. This is uh, the product, if you like, uh, for the business that they do, and uh, they go about their business in similar ways. Uh, So there are also societal questions uh, and uh, the question of law and order. That is quite correct, and unfortunately, if the public who are purchasing these products thought for one minute as to who they are promoting and who they are uh, encouraging to continue in this business, they would back off. But unfortunately, they never think of the consequences that it may be their son or their daughter that can wind up six foot under from being involved with these people. Okay. We'll leave it there for the moment. Benny, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Benny Gilson is a spokesperson with Retailers Against Smuggling. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you're being asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In uh, the European elections in this constituency, there are 17 candidates and in between now and polling day, we're hoping to speak to each of uh, the people who are hoping to take uh, one of the four seats in the Midlands North West, which is uh, the area that we are in. Let's speak with one of of the 17 candidates now, Michael O'Dowd, who's standing for the Renewer Party. Good morning to you and thank you for coming in to us uh, this Good morning. morning. Well, thank you for uh, having me on the programme. Well, I suppose uh, whilst Renewer is a, a small enough party, uh, you're pretty well known, uh, I think, in this neck of the woods. Uh, you've been a, a politician. Uh, it's not the first time that you've stood for election. No, it's not, Michael, and I was uh, just lost out on a council seat last time around. But and I also ran a general election. But yes, Renewa is a small party. It's a party that actually needs an election so that we can prove we have a mandate to, to represent our views. And our views are different from what's there at present. Uh, and we have uh, over 30 candidates running in the local elections and I'm running on, on behalf of the party in this constituency for Europe as well. So okay. uh, we, we're getting our message mm. out there. It's a different message and we, we, we think it's resonating with, with people. Well, tell us what Renewa stands for. 
Well, I suppose in terms of the uh, of the European election, uh, we have a number of issues, particularly in relation to the key issue around along the Midlands and border areas, of course, Brexit. Mm. And we feel that the government have not uh, made enough plans to deal with the fallout that will happen, inevitably follow fallout, uh, particularly in relation to manufacturing industry. And also one of the biggest employers in this area, in this region, <coughs> is the retail and wholesale industry. And they will be competing against the UK at a 2% fat rate differential. So we think that's a huge issue and will be a huge issue for for, uh, employers and employees. I've worked in the agri-food industry for the past 15 years. And I know that from day one, once that vote went through in the UK, that that industry was very badly hit. I was working with companies that had planned expansions that had to pull the expansions because of lack of investment or they lost contracts or... Mm buyers in the UK were not prepared to enter into long-term agreements. So there's a huge huge problem there in relation to the economy that I think Renew have a, have a specific message uh, about. Okay, and what do you think of Brexit? Uh, it has been out of the news, it's now front page news, uh, and Nigel Farage looks set to win the European elections in the UK. He does, yeah. So, so I think it's inevitable that the UK will leave uh, the EU, and I think that's very unfortunate. I think the allied question, of course, is in relation to a border vote. Uh, I, I think it is timely, and I think we should have one uh, in relation to you know the Irish, uh, putting the position of Irish unity out there. I think that's important that we do that. Uh, but Brexit will have a huge impact on, on the economy, north and south, and uh, it's, it's something that we, we need to work towards alleviating the, uh, the fallout from. Would you like us to follow Britain? No, most certainly not. No, mm. I, I would. I think Renew as a party would be a Euro realist. We're not Euro sceptic, but we feel that Europe has done a lot of good uh, over the years since we're, we've joined it. Mm. But there's a lot of areas that 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 need to be addressed. Uh, we're against closer integration or ever closer union, as as the EU puts it. Mm. We're certainly are against the EU army. We're also opposed to meddling in, in, in affairs, really going beyond the, the, the competence, I believe, of Europe. A really good example of that is the GDPR regulations that were brought in, uh, and they were not proportional. So I mean, I'm involved with a number of, of not-for-profits, and the amount of training we had to put people through and the amount of, of difficulties that it caused, and it's the same for small businesses. So I think that that's an area that, that whereas the theory was good, but really the, the, the impact uh, was, was out of all proportion mm. to what was required. And, but, and so they're the type of areas that we think Europe should, should stay out of. But you also take issue with some of uh, the key principles of uh, the European Union, the freedom of movement of people. Yes, that's right. We believe that we should that, that freedom of movement of people needs to be reformed. And we've put forward uh, specific and, and achievable uh, reforms that I think should be implemented. In particular, uh, we, we, we feel that uh, we should be able as a country to ensure that people with a serious criminal record do not come into, do not come into Ireland. Uh, I think that's, a, that, that's uh, a concession that David Cameron won for the UK prior to the Brexit vote. I think we should look for it as well. So that when individuals come in here, that we can look at their track record in the country that they came from. Uh, currently, we can only d- deal with them as, as they behave in this country. Uh, another area that we need to, to, to look at is the whole question of the asylum seekers, because Europe has had uh, a part to play in the difficulties that we currently have in relation to the numbers. And I, I can explain that if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the EU two years ago brought in uh, brought in a, a visa waiver scheme for people from Georgia and Albania, which allowed them to come into the Europe into Europe for up to ninety days. 
But unfortunately, a lot of people from those two countries use that to come to Ireland and uh, uh, seek asylum. Now, neither of those countries, sorry, both of those countries are considered safe countries of origin. In other words, there's no war taking place, there's no threat to their life or their liberty. Uh, and 97% in the case of Georgia, 99% of applicants from from Albania are rejected uh, here in this country once they get through the very lengthy waiting process. And yet we have to, you know, look after those people for up to 18, 19, two year, 19 months, two years in some cases. So we, we feel that the EU has, should put an emergency break mm. on people coming from those two countries in particular. Uh, for instance, at the end of last year, there were s- almost 650 people from Georgia, over 500 people from Albania in our uh, reception centres. And, you know, we have no moral obligation to look after them, in my opinion, whereas we do have people coming from more torn countries. Okay. Have you ever been in Albania or known people from Albania? or uh, Is this just uh, a question of numbers? Well, no, Albania is, is considered a middle-income country. They were in, in, in poverty a number of years ago, but now, uh, according to the World Bank, that they are considered a middle-income uh, country. So there's no economic hardship over there. Uh, I, you know, uh, so I haven't actually been in Albania, but yes, it is a question of numbers because that, the numbers are actually also putting pressure on our homeless problem. Mm. You know, we need to have some joined up thinking here. Okay, uh, we need to to address the, the real problems. I'm very, very very surprised at what you're saying about Albania. Uh, I did spend some time in Albania, and uh, I think it's probably the poorest country uh, in. Uh, this part of the world, uh, 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 yeah, no, I, well, well, Michael, there I is no there, like there, there, uh, there, there's no there's no industry in yeah. Albania. There are very generous people actually. Uh, they opened their borders uh, to the Kosovan refugees. If people yes, remember yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Well, well, as I said, in relation to Albania, if you mm. look at the World Bank figures, they, they they say that they were a country in poverty, but they are now considered a middle income country. Mm. Uh, if if countries like Albania or Georgia need support, then they should get it in in in, in the country in country support rather than having. Uh, Ireland, because we're not in a position to deal with it. I mean, there's a huge crisis. Mm. If you look, this, it, it takes almost 19 months for an individual from arriving in this country to get their first interview. Mm. There is uh, the McMahon report that, that, that looked into the whole uh, refugee crisis or mm. asylum crisis in this country, came up with a number of recommendations that haven't been put through. Mm. I would be very concerned, for instance, at the, at the, at the situation of vulnerable adults that go into that system. Mm. And, 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 and unfortunately, the authorities just look track of, of, of what, what's happening to them. Okay, it's just that they were so charitable to the Kosovan refugees uh, during the time of uh, the war and uh, they opened up their borders. Uh, I remember uh, at the time seeing people slaughter cattle on the streets uh, because it it was so poor. I actually remember somebody walking a a cow uh, so that they could bring it from one piece of grass to the next because... The place is so infertile, yeah. and the yeah. infrastructure yeah. just didn't exist. There was no industry. But, but, but I suppose, Michael, I, I, I counted that by saying that once they get through the system, ninety-nine percent of people, ninety-nine percent of applicants from Albania are rejected by the Irish system. So it, it's it's really it's just a case of when they arrive and the nineteen months that they stay in the country. I, I don't think there's any compassion in, in putting people into those centres for nineteen mm. months and then absolutely no chance of them actually you know being accepted as as genuine refugees is renew campaigning on the divorce referendum uh, Renew are not campaigning on the, on the divorce referendum but i've clearly come out and said i'm i'm and will be coming out this week and, and saying i will be voting no uh, and i can explain why mm. if you like uh, 
first of all, I have no difficulty with the waiting time being reduced from four years to two years. I think that's that's right. Four years is too long. But in fact, what's happening is that the uh, that's not the proposal we put to the people. They want to re- remove the, the the time limit completely from from the from the constitution. And I believe that marriage belongs to the people and not to the politicians. And they haven't dealt with two very real problems that are out there. Number one is the issue of the uh, family courts. There are a number of reports out there calling for family courts to be reformed and to have their own set up. That hasn't happened. And the second issue is they haven't dealt with the real problem of broken marriages in relation to families, and that is the so-called deadbeat dads, people who go off, have children, and then accept no responsibility for them. Currently, the government expects 17, 18-year-old girls to go through our legal system to chase up the maintenance payments. We need a government body to do that for them, and until that is put in place, I don't think we, we're in a position to uh, do away with the, with the, with the waiting list for, for Okay, divorce. and you opposed uh, the abortion referendum. Uh, what about same-sex marriage? Uh, do you support? Uh, well, same-sex marriage has gone through, and I think uh, my son Connor, who put it very well on the day, he says, I'm delighted to, to support same-sex marriage. Uh, it means my friends with Down syndrome that are gay can get married, so I think that, that, that certainly mm. swayed my vote, along with a lot of... Lot of, lot of uh, uh, a lot, a lot of issues. Yes, I, I did oppose the uh, uh, the eight amendment uh, on abortion. Uh, I do believe in the value of life from conception. Uh, it also uh, is driving one of my other policies, which is that we should treat people with disabilities equally in in in, in life as 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 indeed uh, before they're born. And we don't do this in, uh, in in Ireland. I think there are examples out there, Michael, of of. Uh, where the uh, disability industry, and it is an industry for some people, mm. have uh, taken over the disability sector. I think that's very wrong. I think there's evidence of corporate capture, uh, and I can give examples of that if you like. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think th- I think we need to shine a light on that. Uh, the government <clears throat> have refused to allow individuals with a complaint to take their complaints to an international body. So I think... Uh, Europe should shine a light on that. Okay. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, uh, but uh, thank you for your time and for coming into us uh, today. And uh, people will have uh, the opportunity to vote in the European elections on uh, the 24th of May. That's Friday of next week. And our thanks uh, to Renew a Party candidate, Michael O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of uh, the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws while independents and other Others are being chosen to participate through draws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in the RD electoral area, each of whom are hoping to take one of the six seats available. After the break, we'll debate the issues with John Sheridan of Fianna Fáil, Enda Murray, an independent candidate, Fine Gael candidate, Colin Markey, and Hugh Conlon, who is an independent candidate. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, we've outgoing uh, Fine Gael councillor Colin Markey with us uh, for the debate uh, with uh, three first-time candidates, uh, John Sheridan of Fianna Fáil, Enda Murray, an independent candidate, and Hugh Conlon, who's also an independent candidate, uh, all hoping to take one of uh, the seats in uh, the RD electoral area. Good morning to you all, and thanks for coming morning, in. Morning, Michael. This morning. Uh, John, uh, perhaps uh, as one of the first-time candidates, uh, you'd tell us uh, why you've decided to 
to put yourself forward in the election and why are you running for Fianna Fáil? Yeah, thanks Michael. Well, I'm, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm John Sheridan. I'm a first time candidate for Fianna Fáil. I'm 31 and uh, I work in RD Town in a home care company for older people. Uh, I am a first time candidate. There's quite a number of projects I'm very passionate about and that's the reason I've decided to run. I know last year there was a report from the Institute of Charter Surveyors which said the biggest threat to rural Ireland was the decline of small towns and also the provision of rural broadband. And I think for towns like RD and Dunlear and the villages around, there's a number of projects that the council can take the lead on that can help Ardy and O'Neill stave off that mm. potential threat in the area. And that's one of the main reasons that I'm running. Okay, running. and did you grow up in a, a Fianna Fáil family? Uh, no, not at no? all. I didn't. Oh, okay. uh, uh, no politics in my background at mm. all. And I suppose for me, I uh, had been involved in Fianna Fáil. I've been involved in politics for, for some time, but I suppose the foray into elected mm. politics is definitely a new departure for me. And uh, I would say one of the reasons is that um, this is where I am in the age demographic I am. There's many people around my age making decisions about where they'd like to settle down. For so many people, that's here and loud near family and friends and I think there's a few different things around work from home initiatives, e-hubs, that we can encourage more people to maybe move home from Dublin who are originally from Louth and many people who are commuting that we can try and help them out by encouraging them to work in, in Louth rather than commuting to Dublin. Okay, Hugh Conlon uh, maybe you'd uh, tell us a, a little bit about why you've decided to run uh, your yeah. uh, you describe yourself as a community activist anyway would you? Yeah, uh, mm. absolutely this is not my first time I've been in this is my sixth election. Okay. Um, I've been elected in the past on three occasions. I was not elected in 2014. But however, since 2010, I've served on the local policing forum. That's the one in Midlouth, mm. as distinct from Drogheda and Dundalk. In that time, uh, I've missed very, very few meetings. And we have... Um, uh, been dealing with a lot of problems, as you know, in that area mm. relative to drugs and intimidation, especially in the past 12 months. However, I'm sad to say that uh, the government, uh, supported by uh, Fianna Fáil, have in their wisdom introduced um, uh, some sort of regulation or guideline that mm. forced me to step down, much to the surprise of the returning officer, I might mm. say, and but I was forced to step down from that position, and that says very little about uh, the view politicians have in relation to communities being involved in the PPN and involved in local policing. Okay, but the reason you were forced to step down is because you're standing in the election. Exactly, mm-hmm. which seems very, very strange. It's a mean-spirited, to say the least. I don't know where it came from, but the only person to make me fully mm. aware... Uh, because you hold a, I presume, I presume the a logic resource of, okay. worker in Loud County mm-hmm. Council. Sure, only for that phone call from mm-hmm. that resource worker, I would be blissfully mm. unaware of the fact that if I was elected, mm. I, it could be deemed uh, invalid. Well, I presume the reason for it is that you hold one of the non-political seats Precisely. on the Joint Policing Committee. Yes. Uh, and if you're aspiring to be a, a politician, uh, well, then that makes you political. Yeah, but this didn't occur in the last uh, mm. 2014 election. Sure. There was no such condition. Sure. Okay. But seemingly at the end... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay. Up 2018. Mm-hmm. So where okay. did it come from? Okay, but I'm no, sure you'll agree I, I, that I, the same rules apply to everyone. You don't oh, have to like the rules and oh, you obviously oh, don't. Oh yes, but where did it come from? Mm-hmm. It evidently had to come from government somewhere or other. I was handed a regulation mm-hmm. or a guideline. Mm-hmm. And the council, it took the mm. council, after my nomination, sure. it took the council six days mm. to get back to me okay. to say that, yes, mm. they did need my resignation. OK, well, I suppose, uh, you know, there are other examples. If somebody is working in a radio station uh, and uh, they want to stand for election, well, then yeah. they have to stand aside uh, if they do, to take time off work for yeah. the period of uh, the campaign. Uh, but uh, let's talk uh, to Enda Murray, who's uh, another independent candidate. Uh, tell us why you've decided to stand. Morning, Michael. Yeah, um, well, I've been a a local community activist as well on a number of issues over the last five years and basically one of my main issues would be the castle in RD obviously um, everyone knows that I want that open and I, you know to have it there it's belonging to the people of RD mm. and it's an absolute disgrace the way the council have been treating it and um, it's a national treasure you know but there's not just the castle there's an awful lot wrong with RD at the moment and mm. the public representation I feel has been lacklustre to say the least um, we need a new voice we need someone to speak up and someone to stand up for the everyday people in RD and I feel I have the qualifications to do that. Okay, tell us a little bit more about the castle, uh, how long ago was it? The castle has been, was open six years ago um, for one day for a wedding mm. um, my, mine <laughs> and <laughs> okay. um, it had fantastic potential after that. There was mm. We had about 18 people um, applying for the same idea. Oh, very good. And yeah. they were all told, mm. sorry, it's under construction. Mm. When did it so close, though? It closed in 2010. Right. Uh, it had it been... Has, the, it, it has been open it, here and there, like at Christmas, for mm-hmm. uh, November, for the Baroque or whatever. It's never really been open, open to the public, like on a daily basis, mm. you know, um, there has been a few little bits and pieces, but uh, from since uh, three and a half years ago now, mm. it has not been open uh, and for, for anything. And, and there's fence around. What it. should it be used for? It has a huge potential. Um, again, like just not not only for weddings. I would love to see it as the heart of the community. Like um, you'd have all your clubs and societies meetings there. You could mm. have. Uh, the Faroga Youth Club, the Photography Club, all the local mm. clubs and societies would use it as a meeting point. It would be a focal focal point. You'd have a farmer's mm. market on a Saturday morning. You can have maybe TV, movie shootings in it, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, again, weddings. Um, you'd have a little museum, maybe a little tourist office. 
Um, but definitely mm. it should be open. Okay, because the castle did receive some funding recently, did it not, Colin Murphy? Uh, a couple of thousand, uh, I think. A, a, li- a little more than a couple of thousand, I think. It's uh, a 2.4 million, I think, mm. is the figure that but it's th- That's received. the regeneration figure for RD, is it not? No, that's, there's, there's 500,000 of a regeneration figure for RD, which in my mind is every bit as important as the money for the castle. Mm. Like I think the, the money for the castle essentially will get the castle opened. Mm. There remains a situation where there is there remains the need for a business plan as to how how the castle is going to run into the future. Mm. Because it's all right to say a wedding venue, but the the the, the castle is much more important to RD than just a, a wedding venue. And I think it, I it's, it's, it's history and the importance of making sure that there's a business plan that whether it be from a tourism perspective, whether it be from a history mm. perspective. It is the, the marquee building in RD, mm. and it needs to be open. And it just doesn't, it's, it's more than just opening the doors. We need to make sure we're making the most of the castle, that it's selling RD mm. as a as a, town as a, whole. a a wedding venue, though, would be a, a hotel type thing. Would it not? I mean, it would be a commercial, be a commercial operation, would it? But to me, the wedding venue is fine, but mm. there's, there's plenty of other wedding venues, and maybe once if somebody mm. chooses to get married in the castle, perhaps they can. Mm. But it's surely only a side point to the potential of the castle to, to market the town from a tourism perspective, mm. from a historic perspective. There's so much the castle... Would you be used. talking about selling it, Enda? No, no. No, but how it's could it be a wedding? ceremony venue, oh, that's all. Oh, just for um, the ceremony? Yeah, yeah, right. but that's only one, that's only one, one tiny mm. amount of, of the potential there. I've done a 10-page mm. business plan and we handed it to the council there five years ago. What would you do with it, Colin Marker? I think uh, certainly to use it to, to sell the history of RD would be a massive part of it. From a tourism perspective, mm. it'd be uh, also yes, definitely an involvement with the community is very important. But what I would really like to do more than come up with my plan for, mm. I think there needs to be an effective consultation with all the people of RD. So it's the people's castle and not just the county council's okay. castle. Okay, yeah, you want to come in there, John Sheridan? Yeah, we we'll come back in a moment. Yeah, yeah and I, I think if you look not too far from your Malahide Castle, mm. recently had a similar mm-hmm. regeneration done. I mean, Michael, I'll say if Francis Brennan came to RD, he would scream potential, potential, potential at the what's mm. there. You know, this column saying it's two point one million for the castle and then five hundred mm. for the regeneration generation of the town associated with it both are very very important in the, in, in the town and I think the amount of money that, that could bring into the town in terms of tourism is really important it's one of the only examples of its kind of a 15th century castle mm. in, in, in Ireland in Britain or Ireland I support uh, all the arguments uh, for RD Castle but also I do feel that the entire Midlodge should be promoted as a tourist generation in its own unique sense we have a beautiful coastline is stretching from Castle Bellingham to Clawherhead. We have the RD Castle. We have lots of traditional music in the area. We have the Jumping Church in RD, which goes back to 1270. Also, we have Old Mellifont. All of these are in Midlouth. Mm. The monastery first built in 1152. Also, as the well-known Monastery Boys Tower and Crosses, dating back to 759 AD. How as a councillor, I mean, we all, have all that's well and good, but uh, as a councillor, how would you set about promoting it? Uh, uh, we also have uh, uh, Lynn Ducal in Anagassan, which mm. is a wonderful uh, piece of, uh, of work. I remember visiting Newgrange mm. with my uncle, uh, very, but is very that not the job of there was a hole in the ground. So yeah. the potential there, you see the potential mm. in Newgrange. There is huge potential in Anagassan and RD Castle. Okay. Loud County but you don't Council want to tell us how a councillor would promote it? Of course he would. There has been laziness, to my belief. Dunlear, you're, you're familiar with the market house in Dunlear. That was bought by Loud County Council mm. and left sit 
to wreck okay. and ruin. Colin, Colin Mark, are the councillors lazy? Until a voluntary organisation well, well, came in well, and done it. Well, funny enough, he mentions the Mark House and Lear. As in my first term on the council, we met with Loud County Council, convinced them to, con- to trust in the local community and, and re- lease the building on a long-term lease. Through that, there was funding secured through a leader programme. There was funding secured from a local business person in, in, from Glen Dimplex, Martin Ockton. And as a result, that is an iconic building in the middle of Dunlear, which gives massive potential to Dunlear at the moment. Why didn't the Loud County Council do it exclusively on their own? Why did it have because, to be a voluntary Because body? we worked with the, the same community. with the key, the Council. Key. They have done nothing. The key to Absolutely the key. nothing. Only fence it off. The key Management and Loud County Council are damn good at fencing things off. Well... It was when I, I got when I became a councillor in Lear, That isn't what happened to the market house. It was working in conjunction with the community that that that, that house was bought and bred life into the Lear. For instance, just at the weekend, mm. the darkness into light event was run from the market house, and it just shows what an iconic building at the centre of a town can do. It just, just goes to okay. show okay. what voluntary organisations okay. can do. Okay. The reality is. You said, what can a council do? Mm. There's rural regeneration money. The government has provided mm. one billion over ten years, a hundred million per year, to, for, for marquee projects like this. The, the, the starting point is half a million. So the like of the Viking idea in Gas and the like of the cast in RD, that regeneration money that's talked about for RD, similar examples can be used in other locations around Midlight, and we can regenerate the ta- our towns and villages, our tourism product, and mm. all those sort of things. And that's the vital. That's the vital okay. that a council uh, can uh, be uh, central. Murray, do you want to yeah. take up on that? The money is earmarked and mm. it's 2.1 million. It's mm. earmarked. But if Loud County Council, like I said, three and a half years to have that castle mm. shut, um, if they don't get up off their backsides and do something, yeah, that yeah. money will go. Mm-hmm. I, like you, Hugh said as well. It's, um, they have to use the money mm. or that money is going, will be gone. But Again, they need a, they need a plan. The four, the they need a plan. The plans are there. A plan to spend the money, though. The plans are there. For what? What's the end goal then? What? What? What, what is the plan for the castle? Uh, you were talking about a wedding venue. Uh, that's funny. That's like mm. that's one part of it. Yes, mm. but um, again, I'll repeat it. It was to have a small museum, mm. a visitor centre. Mm. Um, and what would the ongoing would annual cost be? You'd have to maintain it and undoubtedly yeah. staff it somehow. Obviously, you would mm. probably have a pilot um, CE scheme to take control of it and that would be you know mm-hmm. but you, you'd charge for the rental of the rooms and you know the, the heating and the, the insurance costs and everything else of course you would Okay uh, John Sheridan uh, what about uh, the area uh, as a whole uh, in terms of uh, attracting people uh, I mean some very valid points were made about uh, the wealth uh, that there is in terms of attracting tourists uh, but uh, as a region it's very much behind the curve No and I think for Midlows in general I mean there is huge in, for both Ardy and Lear and the surrounding villages um, they are an area that's under challenge at the moment and I think there's a number of different projects whether that's the RD bypass the N52 bypass that again funding is allocated for mm. it there's just a few mm. uh, issues that need to be resolved in involving local residents there uh, but I think the business community in RD the local residents uh, want it and it's the right thing for the area to have the RD bypass continue um, I'd also say other things um, O'Collum would work hard on the Anagas and Harbour a plan for Anagas and Harbour as well um, as well as d- delivering the Dunlear development plan up until 2023 is very important because that's a, whole, a holistic approach mm. um, to a village and uh, hopefully uh, towns and villages can actually prosper from them. Okay, Uh, and I suppose uh, the bypass uh, will see a lot of cars uh, 
obviously stay out of uh, the town. There's a lot of cars leaving the town every day as well. And like a lot of rural areas in the country, people are, are travelling to work. Uh, and we have this new phenomenon of uh, people sharing cars. Uh, and you're looking for uh, an allocated, a dedicated space for people to do that. Yeah, that, that, that that's a huge issue uh, right along the M1. And I suppose it goes back to the earlier point of so many mm. people having to commute but I suppose people are doing right by the environment by parking their cars unfortunately at the moment they're parking on hard shoulders uh, and a lot of local residents are concerned it's dangerous where they're parking people have a fear as well mm. about leaving it right along a hard shoulder so um, safe and secure park and share facilities along the M1 are, are, are needed now I know there was a plan in relation to one of the junctions I think it was a different junction was proposed outside mm. of Midlow It is dangerous though isn't it? Um, very much so and mm-hmm. I suppose And uh, should something be done about it? Uh, no well I suppose that's, uh, there was kind funding allocated for a park and share area mm. uh, but I think a different junction was picked outside of Midlows which was mm. very unfortunate that it wasn't But, one of those but when middle. people are parking illegally mm. like that uh, should there be a consequence? Well I think at the moment there is almost a blind eye being turned because mm. But is uh, that right? Look, at it, I suppose they're they're doing right by the environment. So they're they're sharing cars. It's not an ideal situation, mm. and I think by highlighting that the most sensible solution so, that works. In so it's right to turn a blind well, eye to a, a dangerous practice. No, well, I, I think when you look at a neighbouring council mm. of North Newry and Morn Council, they have perfected this, and I think everyone agrees, including the council, that when they're in the process of developing money for something like mm. this, um, that that's well, exactly. No, does, 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 does everybody agree? I, I don't think we're turning a blind eye to. It is in mm. fairness, like I think, even from my own perspective, I made a submission then to the regional plan and strategy yeah. in relation to park and ride. And mm. it's interesting that everyone now is talking you, did about you it. Ever, did you ever because call on North County Council to send the warden down there and issue uh, tickets? Well, well, what I did was, I think to, you, you can't really. The, the point here is, you need to come up with a solution. And so you I, need to turn a blind eye. No, no, you need to come up with no, a solution. Well, there's a solution. I've just given you a solution. There's, no, that, that's, turn, that's not a solution. Then, so where are they going to go? They're going to have to go somewhere else. I the don't re- know, but it'd be safe. The reality is, Michael... It's a solution yeah. to the well, unsafe practice. If you bear with me for a second, Michael. The reality is, I made a submission to the regional authority. Yeah. Mm. As a result, they've identified the NTA are now mm. funding one location yeah. as a pilot at Junction 16 and they've indicated but you don't think as part of the strategy going forward that there will be more of them. Yeah. Park, so that is act- you, action. You, you don't believe in place. finding people for parking in the hard shoulder of a motorway? Look, I think if we have a solution to offer them, then that's a funny way, legit- that's a funny way of saying you don't. Uh, what do you think, yeah, Edda? I think um, not only on the, the hard shoulder, we have a huge problem at the moment in RD with all-day parkers, Mm. um, especially around the Fair Green area. Mm. And I've been calling on the council as part of, from the Traders Association, Mm. I have a shop in town as well, and um, we've been calling for a warden to come to RD once a week or even every couple of days Mm. to clamp down on all-day parking, especially, you know, kids around the uh, Fair Mm. Green. There's nowhere to park. Mm. They're, yeah. Because they're taken well, up and they're gone. Well, to once work you get the second, the once you get the second ticket, yeah, you stop but doing there, it. There is no, there is no wardens mm-hmm. in RD anymore. Okay, you park and ride has been a huge problem, especially at Charleville Junction, and that has been going for a long, long time. And yes, I agree that Low County Council and the Mid Low Councillors have been very silent on that. I fully agree with Enda. That's There's not parking all day long in Dunleer as well as RD, as, uh, along with that. Yes, you're correct and right. The, a traffic warden should go down to these roads and tell the people they're parking illegally. And then perhaps if they get these fines, then they will protest. But it's an absolute disgrace to see what's happening at Charleville Junction. We just simply 
did not get enough money towards the project. You're saying all of this is going to be experimented on Junction 14 or 15 or whatever it is. The reality is we should have gotten a lot more money, especially along the M1 motorway. This government, is supported by Fianna Fáil, are not taking an interest in... Okay, uh, Colin Markey, do you want to come back on that? To be fair, I think I've made the point quite clearly. I've made the submission... The funding has now arrived for the first one, and the indication is there will be more. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on, if we can, to crime. Uh, uh, And like most rural areas, I suppose uh, people feel insecure, and then we have uh, this new gangland stuff and the drugs uh, that uh, result in the violence that we're all becoming very accustomed to. It's uh, very strange that we're all used to talking about guns and all this sort of stuff these days. Uh, But. what do you think is at the root of all of this, John? Uh, yeah, I, I do think there was a, um, a meeting in Dunlear, obviously, that uh, mm. we were all in attendance last, uh, last uh, Thursday night. I suppose, first, in terms of resources, and you look at somewhere like Gardaí, Garda Station, has a reduction of 16% in Garda numbers over the last eight years. Um, there are only 33 Gardaí mm. for the whole Mid-Louth region, so I think that's number one. Okay, in but, terms of, but, uh, but, but what's at the root of it? I mean, I think oh, you're probably the youngest of the yes. candidates here. Like, uh, but, I mean, you could bring in as many police as you want. You could yeah. bring in the army. You could lock no. up You could lock up all the young people in Ireland if you wanted to, yeah. but uh, what, what's causing it? I mean, have you very, been... Very, obviously, Michael, there's a huge issue around teenage uh, supports for teenagers, and that's come up a lot in terms of youth facilities, um, also youth diversion programmes as mm. well. This was to help people who do fall into crime at an early age. But there's age. more for young people to do mm. now than ever was the case before. Perhaps maybe involving mm. screens, but I think most people would, would, would prefer if young people weren't you know, simply facing into screens mm. all, all, all the time, uh, and I suppose Plenty, Sever- plenty of playing pitches, football clubs, and well, a lot of different dancing, areas. singing, no, whatever well, different groups. In a, in a lot of different areas, people have raised issues around mm. paying their property tax, and they're looking for playgrounds and areas. Mm. And of course, every every estate would love a playground in it. But I suppose they're the type of things. I should also acknowledge, Michael, in terms of things that are working in terms of crime that are allowing Gardaí folks on more major issues are things like community tax layer programs, because they are, I suppose, mm. civil surveillance in an area, passive surveillance, and they are actually are working very well to allow Gardaí go focus on more serious crime in the mm. area. Okay, Hugh Cronin, do you think young people are, are different today than when you were growing up, for example? Probably, in, in fairness to them, probably not. But it's what you have in a community that is very important. The guards always told us that we had a boys' club, imagine that, in this day and age, back in the 70s. But a retired guard always tells me that only for that club his job would have been much more difficult. There's huge antisocial behaviour going on, has been for the past four to five years on the streets of Dunlear. I've highlighted this mm. on many occasions. And, of course, drugs. And then intimidation has come in over the past 12 months. Also, we have a lot of bad money hanging around in commercial enterprises. That's another aspect. Bad money? Yes. What's that? Well, I mean, what do you do with the proceeds of drugs? Right. You know, you've got to launder it or you've got to do something. So mm. you're in business overnight. Some some businesses that would would have failed without mm. this sort of money. Right. The Gardaí, we do need more Gardaí mm. on the street, definitely. We have a new sergeant uh, with uh, two uh, other guards. It's just not enough. Mm. I, it took me eight hours to campaign 100 houses mm. uh, last week. 
everybody wanted to tell the stories about all sorts of criminality uh, in the that's only in the village of Dunthea mm. and we had the meeting last week which was great okay. but another thing the TDs of this county only showed an interest in our Midlouth Policing Committee 12 months ago when, okay. when it's nearly too late they never showed an interest Okay and Murray uh, is policing the solution or well, is there a longer term you know, the, perspective? The biggest problem we have in RD mm. is I've, I've called for this um, we had a problem there on Friday afternoon with shoplifters. I phoned the guards and two hours from Drogheda mm. they, they arrived on a Friday afternoon in RD. Um, I can't understand why when, when we have a guard station in RD and I know their resources are have been cut like beyond belief obviously and that's down to Fine Gael and the government and cutbacks and everything else in the last couple of years. Um, but the, it's imperative that we have a guard, a guard of presence mm. on the street, walking, walking the railway line, walking the the park, you know, walking around and being seen. We have an awful problem at the moment um, in the railway line and the riverside walk um, with uh, unruly youths. People afraid to walk down there, you know, mm. that should not happen. They are they're, they're beautiful walks. There's an awful lot of work being done on them. Um, we call for CCTV. But and we've, I think, uh, it's been agreed, it's been mm. passed by the council. But the problem is the guards are refusing to man it. Okay, Colin Murphy. Yes, I think. Look, the the, the need for youth services is clearly identified. There's a new youth service mm. project coming coming on stream and done through the yet again through the market house, and it shows what a building like that can do in terms of uh, mm. development capacity. But uh, and, and like that, I suppose community facilities are a big part of it. They're like the playgrounds, which I know in 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 my role in Lidl back in the day, we we would have put in seven playgrounds, and that that's facilities like that. Mm-hmm. But there is an issue. You said wh- what's different with young people today, and I think I know wh- when there wasn't facilities, young people had to take ownership themselves of a leadership within themselves to 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 find a things for young people to be at. Nowadays, there's this notion that provide services mm-hmm. for young people. I think there's a need to turn, flip that around and say, engage young people, let it, to let them lead, let them mm. take ownership of what's there for young people, rather than every, oh, people of our age rushing to put services in place for them. It's really to find leadership within the group, and that's how you'll inspire them to, to be role models to their peers. Okay. And I think that, that's a, a slightly different take on it that may make a difference. OK, our, our time is just up. Maybe you'd uh, like to suggest to people why they should re-elect you, Colin Murphy. I think it's interesting all the issues we've talked about here. We've talked about mm. the like the market house in the Lear. I would have played a major part in putting that in place along with the community groups who were there. We supported them. Likewise with the, with the various community facilities. I would have worked hard to put community facilities in place. And I think it's important. Like we, There was a talk here about certainly there, there, there's issues with crime and I'd like to recognise the family and Nanny Gaston who stood up to that in, in, in recent times. But I think we also could, could run down a road of, how will I put it, um, getting caught up in, in, in running the like of Dunlear or the like of Annie mm-hmm. Gasson down. These are wonderful places that we can sell with, with an awful lot to offer. And we have, we have issues to deal with. But we can't lose sight of. There's a lot worse places out there than Dunlear or Annie Gasson or RD. And all we have to do is put in place certain initiatives, access the funding, and we can make them better into the future. Okay. I think a lot has been achieved in the last 10 years, and I'd like to see it continue, particularly in places like Dunlear and Anigas. OK, and Colin Murphy, the Fidegale candidate. Hugh Conlon is uh, an independent candidate. Uh, maybe you'd uh, like uh, to tell our listeners why you believe uh, you deserve their vote. 
Well, I have a, a lot of experience. I was elected at the age of 25 in 1979, and I spent 20 years until I was turfed out by Fianna Fáil uh, in 99. Uh, I uh, didn't contest to elections. Um, I was busy during the Celtic Tiger. And uh, I contested it in 2014. I marginally lost that election to a, a fellow independent by 27 votes. Um, it, however, I've been a community activist all my life. I committed nine years uh, if, to the po- uh, policing uh, committee. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that is the main objective of mine going into okay. uh, this election. All right, thanks for that. Uh, and Murray? Well, it's my first time running. Um, and the one thing I'll say about myself is that every, anyone that knows me knows that I'm very, very passionate about what I get involved <coughs> in. Um, I love RD and Midloud. I'm very proud of the town. Um, like I said, it's, it's got huge potential. Um, Midloud is a wonderful, wonderful place to live. Um, we have our problems, and I'd like to be there to help. Um, but I'll be listening to the people, okay. and I won't be afraid to speak up. I'm independent. I don't have to tow any party line. Okay, very good. Uh, John Sheridan, uh, you can't say the same thing, I'm sure, uh, as the Fianna Fáil candidate. Yeah, no, look, I, I'm a Fianna Fáil candidate. Um, look, it's close up, Michael. I'm hoping to hear a fresh new voice. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm hardworking and positive and hopefully constructive. And a lot of the projects we've discussed here today, I think, can make a huge difference. The one single one I would also mention is broadband is the single biggest issue that has come up in rural areas. And it's not a West of Ireland coastal issue. It is within a kilometre of the M1. There's issues around broadband okay. in this area. So uh, I'd appreciate people's support on mm. Friday week. All right. Well, look, thanks to each of you for coming into us uh, today. All of the debates are on Facebook Live, uh, so you might want to give a, a nod to your supporters as we wrap up with thanks to John Sheridan of Fianna Fáil, Enda Murray, Independent, Colm Markey of Fine Gael, and Hugh Conlon, Independent. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And to everybody listening in, a texter says, these men are right. And she's talking about the candidates in the RD electoral mm. area and their comments in relation to tourism. This listener feels not enough has been done for tourist business in County Louth. There's so much, the beautiful castle and other places in County Louth and fears that it's a shame on the council. Michael asks Joan, have you ever tried crossing the road in RD? You're literally taking your life in your hands. The traffic in the town is absolutely horrendous. Mm. Uh, Sharon fears that RD is a poor relation of Drogheda and Dundalk. They don't really have a look in because of the two big towns. Mm. Don't know why the council maybe doesn't try to to give RD a little bit of limelight by having its full meetings there as it's in between the two big guns. Okay, interesting thought. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I welcome the regeneration of the castle in RD. Well, I would welcome it. I don't think comparing it to Malahide Castle is really practical or the same because there's not the same amount of land around it. Mm. Having a farmer's market there would lead to even more traffic in an already congested town. All right, well, people uh, 
are certainly familiar with traffic in our day, it would say. Uh, we'll come back to some of uh, the calls again in a moment, but there's a sense of disbelief, I think, in uh, Drogheda this morning uh, following another fire at the Thatch Cottage. Paul mm-hmm. Bell, Labour Party councillor, is with us. Good morning to you. And Good morning, Michael. I think that sums it up, doesn't I it? I think that sums it up. Uh, and actually, there's a great deal of depression in the mm-hmm. area. Uh, the owners of the Thatch pub, uh, th- uh, the Thatch Cottage, did go to the expense and bother of repairing a fire damage that had happened a number of weeks ago. Everybody was absolutely delighted that the owner committed to doing that. Uh, and obviously we're hoping that this would be the end mm. of whatever is ongoing there. Last night at approximately half ten I started receiving phone calls that there had been another fire incident. Mm. Uh, the customers in the pub actually tried to extinguish the fire, got it under some type of control before the fire service arrived, and obviously then mm. uh, they took over from there. Uh, the problem with these type of fires, Michael, is that where it looked like there was a small fire, in order to ensure that the whole roof does not go go ablaze, the fire service have to basically peel it back to the base mm. and then flood it with water and try and stop it. I did visit the scene this morning. I spoke to a lot of residents. They're in disbelief. Uh, they're also concerned too for the owner who is absolutely devastated and and there's a clear understanding that we cannot expect the owner of that property to continue keep uh, repairing it Mm. Uh, and and eventually something bad is going to happen unless somebody is actually apprehended and prosecuted for this Uh, for my part why why are they doing it? uh, this is well I put it out strictly last night this is mindless vandalism this is just some type of recreational form of activity uh, where people think this is amusing. Uh, it's in the minority. The problem is that the building is vulnerable because of the road frontage. Mm. Uh, and people are talking about all kinds of things like CCTV systems and mm. can, uh, can the uh, actual thatch itself have a fire retardant. And these are all very good suggestions. The, the challenge, though, is, is that the people who own the property are mm. left with the bill for it. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, the property owners this morning are considering what the future of that building is and that's not what we want I mean I fought a heavy campaign with the support of Mm. uh, the local authority support of residents to not only rescue that building but the one in Harty's Cottage and that was also subject to an arson attack and I know the Guardian are saying this morning that they're treating it suspiciously Mm. and I know that's a term that they would use uh, but the residents of the area have no doubt that this was a deliberate attempt to destroy that building. Yeah, well, it didn't go on fire itself. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, we spoke the last time uh, as well about trying to ensure a building that is being targeted by arsonists. Yes. Uh, when it happens a, a second time, I imagine you're in real trouble. Well, I reckon there's going mm. to be some very serious conversations with the owners and obviously their insurers mm. and and other agencies uh, about this. Uh, but the people of Drogheda have made it clear to me, and I've received actually over 100 emails this morning, sorry, face, if, uh, messages mm. this morning mm-hmm. on uh, Face Messenger, advising that everything must be done to protect that building. But what everything is, or what it is, I don't know. I don't know, for instance, if other local authorities and properties have mm. faced this challenge elsewhere in the country. Um, for us, I mean, we talk about tourism here all the time. The, the, the main focus for the owner of that property was to have it in have it in shape for the flag hole and he couldn't do it last year because of the the nature of the walk uh, the beams inside that roof had to be replaced mm. uh, some people actually had to come from England to do it the thatching's done by um Peter Childs 
one of the best Thatchers in Europe. Mm. You just couldn't get any better, and the effort was made. A rare uh, skill, I'm but sure. I really, mm. really hope uh, that they, something can be walked out where the property can mm. be repaired. But if it is, we have to understand how we're going to protect it from this happening again. Well, we'll never understand why yeah. this has happened why again or why it ever happened. But I just want to really say, Michael, if I could, yeah. the community are very much aware yeah. that if they had seen anybody in the area, they mm. need to report it to the Garda Shikana, uh, or indeed myself. Uh, the Garda, uh, obviously, are investigating the matter. Mm. They need help. I think arson is one of those most serious crimes. Oh, yeah. It's so mm. indiscriminate. Yeah, well... As I said, there's disbelief, uh, and I'm sure everybody feels the same, or practically everybody does. All right, thanks uh, for that, uh, Labour Party Councillor Paul Bell. Now let's uh, go back uh, to the phones, or what you've been saying to us on the phones. Yeah, and just staying Mm -hmm. with that story Mm -hmm. on the thatch, Michael Kathleen contacted us during the show, knowing that we were going to be discussing it, to say that she's so angry about what has happened to the thatch, that it was absolutely beautiful, that it had had been restored, and just is wondering, could cameras be installed in the area? Uh, moving then to your interview regarding the shooting in Dundalk, uh, Declan got in touch and says, what is happening in Loud, Michael? We are the smallest county, but between shootings, stabbings and awful aggravated burglaries, it really is a frightening place to live at the moment. I hope we do not see this escalating even further. Uh, Jackie says there's a definite more visible presence in Drogheda at the moment Michael and that's what we always should have. Alright thanks for that Marie, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us, if you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is 1857 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM Now members of uh, the Love Drogheda Bid group are calling on local election candidates uh, to support the effort uh, to introduce a business improvement district to Drogheda. We're joined by two members of uh, the group, Niall Kearns and Declan Kearns, and you're both very welcome. Thanks for coming in to us today. Niall, perhaps uh, you'd tell us what you're hoping to hear from candidates. Thank you, Michael. Uh, well, and we're very pleased to know that we've canvassed all the various uh, candidates throughout the county and we've had overwhelming support. So we're delighted to hear that they're actually on board. So mm. it's not as if we're trying to bang a drum in the hope that they will actually support it. It's more just to reinforce what we are trying to do, what we hope to achieve for our town. I think everybody ex- accepts our bona fides that we are doing this not for our own personal gain as such, but for the good of our town. Obviously, if the town does well, we do well downstream. Mm. So we're, we're just confirming our, um, the support that we have of our various councils. All right, and uh, before we talk about the difficulties, uh, if uh, there is uh, to be a difficulty in introducing this scheme, uh, maybe you'd uh, tell us, Declan, uh, what a bid scheme is. Uh, I mean, what exactly are you trying to do? You're trying to raise money from businesses to do what? Yeah, we're actually trying to raise funding from ratepayers to improve the realm of the town, basically, to uh, improve things like tourism, tourism, to try and attract industry into the mm. town like Drogheda formerly was the capital of Ireland in, in terms of an industrial town but we've lost all of that over the years uh, so investment is obviously an important factor for us as is tourism mm. but uh, basically as the way the bid scheme works the possibility of bringing funding into the bid group to improve the realm of the town and the group improve the social environment for the inhabitants of the town mm. uh, would be a very important factor for us. And, and there is a, a plan, you have a, a list of things that you hope to do from providing the Christmas lights for uh, the town to getting people jobs 
uh, rather than having to commute. Uh, it's a very broad, and I imagine a changeable feast, is it? It's very much that. It mm-hmm. is a very broad church indeed. Uh, we have great ambition for what we hope to achieve, and mm-hmm. we do recognise that the likelihood of achieving everything in a short time frame is limited, but we would hope that over a prolonged period of time we would imagine that we would tackle most, if not all, of the projects we have in mind. Um, but certainly what we intend in the early days are the quick fixes, the low-hanging fruits, the things that are kind of pretty obvious to most people. We've already mentioned the Christmas lighting there, but the removal of graffiti, the removal of excess weeds, particularly high up in buildings, mm. um, you know, the greening of our town. It wouldn't cost an awful lot to plant trees around the town. And we understand what our council, they are somewhat cash-strapped. And if they had unlimited funds, they could do everything, but they don't have that. Mm. And we understand that. So we're willing to chip in our bit. Uh, we, being on the ground, can see what we feel our town needs most. And that's what we wish to tackle. And we hope to have as many of the ratepayers on board mm. supporting us with well, this. you have to. We do, indeed. Of course, <laughs> if, it's if, a democratic process. If you're to process, be successful, yeah. I mean, we're having a, a elections uh, on Friday of next week, uh, but you have to have a, an election of, of sorts of yourselves, own. a referendum. It's a plebiscite, uh, yeah, which right. is uh, where all the business uh, traders in the town will vote in favour of giving more money over out of their profits or not, as the case may be. Well, that's it. It is mm. a plebiscite. It's mm. up to us to sell the idea to our ratepayers. Mm. Um, our hope would be the majority would be in favour. But we do understand that if the majority aren't in favour, it goes no further. And we, we are very con- conscious of that. Mm. So we wish to make sure that we canvass as many as we can. And we wish to make sure that we allay any fears they may happen to have by effectively selling them the benefit of this project. Because the reality is, mm. if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it okay, for us. Why has there not been a plebiscite uh, so far, why why has it not happened yet, uh, Declan? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, th- this project was handled uh, ten years ago. Mm. Niall and John Shannon, who are both members of our big group, attempted to bring bids in the draw ten years ago. Unfortunately, the council didn't facilitate them then. Mm. Uh, we seem to have got over the little hurdle we've had with the council and we've had a, a rough couple of months in terms of getting to where we want to be mm. now. Uh, basically, this is like uh, the Grand National. We spent eight months preparing to get to the starting line and now we're at the starting line. So we have to go through the legal process to get to the plebiscite. Um, but interestingly, in terms of what we were talking about there, uh, like from 2000 on 2013 to 2017, there was a 4.7% decline over a five-year period uh, in rateable return Mm. to the county council. But a further example of that, if you go on to West Street and you go from the top of Stockwell Street to the top of Shop Street, there are 25 retail units in that area. There's been a 12% closure rate in that area over mm. the last number of months. Now, that's 7% more than the county closure rate. So it's really important in terms of the plebiscite that retailers come on board with us because it gives us the opportunity to attract business into town. To make if they do come on board with it, why is it so complicated? What has the problem been? Uh, you're talking about paying another 3.5% uh, in rates, I think, is it? Thereabouts. It's, it's an additional contribution on top of the rates. That but is it, correct, yes. If people are, are willing to pay more, uh, what's the problem in collecting it? 
Well, the reason it, the process is as convoluted, you might say, as it is, is actually it's actually to protect the organisation itself, the bid organisation, and that is, it gives it effectively constitutional power. If we decided to knock on doors and say, lads, are you willing to give 3.5%? Well, some mm. will and others won't. Mm. And that's the experience we have presently with other projects we run in the town. That in many cases, the locals are very much on board and the out-of-towners are more difficult to get a buy-in from. And in many cases, it may not be a case of that they're opposed to it, but mm. it's just that they haven't got permission from head office. Yeah. But Which with, might be in the UK. In very mm. many, in many mm. cases, it mm. is in the UK. But with the bid process, if the majority of ratepayers vote for it, they're then obliged to pay it. It's not a case of picking mm. and choosing. Everybody, it's all or nobody. It's as simple as that. Mm. So, you know, the democratic process is the opportunity to vote, but thereafter it becomes statutory. They are obliged to contribute. Mm. And with that, you move away from what we do at present in town is we raise between twenty and 30,000 every year on different projects. And that's all we manage to raise. We're taking a quantum leap here. We hope to raise nothing less than 300,000 a year. So we're right. 10 times more. But with that, you will see what the town gets from it. Yeah. One of the first things we'll get is a town manager. You take your typical shopping centre, 25, 30, 40 outlets. It mm. always will have a manager. Downtown, we have 500 premises and there is no manager. There's nobody to see what needs to be done. There's nobody to liaise with the various authorities, be it the Gardaí or the local authority or whoever else. That will change. We will mm. have a paid professional as such. Somebody who we hope will have buckets of enthusiasm and who are willing to do it for a reasonable fee. We're not talking mm. of crazy money here. The more money we can put towards various projects, the better it will be for both the town and bid itself. So we see only good. I mean, we see mm. certain hurdles that can be there as well, but they are very much easy to overcome, we feel. We feel for the town, this is well worth endorsing. And mm. be, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If it doesn't but, happen now... But there had been a, a dispute with the council over collecting the additional rates, was there not? There was, yeah, yeah. there was mm. of sorts, yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, and that it would have to be a separate system. Why does it have to be a separate well, system? Well, there was, there was in, in some ways, there was a misunderstanding on both sides. Right. So we have to take some of the blame for this as well. And much and all, I'm very quick to criticise our council on many occasions over different things. Mm. On this occasion, we couldn't see their... their what they were trying to, you know, maybe yeah. tell us and they couldn't see what we were trying to tell them. And we met an impasse and we found it very hard to get over it. And we sat down and we said, OK, right, what is the problem here? Yeah. And it took a while to thrash it out, but we eventually realised, hold on, we are on pretty common ground here. So over a, a period of a couple of days, we actually ironed out all the difficulties to the point that we are now very happy with our lot and mm. the councillor are very happy what we're trying to achieve. Mm. But so. it, 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 it's to be collected separately from existing rates? No, to be collected on top of the rates. Okay. That's how it will be. Initially, we had proposed collecting it separately. Right, okay. And the council mm. had greater difficulty with that. Mm. So we understood where they were coming from then and we said, okay, if we try doing it the way, this other way, okay. will you be happy with that? And they agreed to that and that was effectively the impasse broken. Okay, and well, that's it, if it comes about. Yes. So what next, Declan? Uh, well, next... Uh, this really where the work begins. Uh, we have there are approximately fifteen hundred and fifty ratepayers in the town. We have to make sure we get out there and we canvass with them and we explain to them the benefits of bid. Uh, and it's going to be an intense. So approximately twelve of us in the bid group. So obviously twelve people who are all self-employed mm -hmm. or whatever. Okay. When, we, when do you expect there to be a vote though? Uh, possibly it'd be maybe August time. Undoubtedly hear more from you in between. We have to leave it there though our time has run out. Okay, and, uh, thank thanks you for coming into us uh, this morning. Yeah. Niall Kearns and uh, Declan Kearns bring our programme to its conclusion today. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye.
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cart McCross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cart McCross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or cartmacrosscu.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 